so often throughout the course of history. Patriots rise up at a time of need for truth and freedom. These people are called disciples of liberty for their undying love of freedom. The call has been sounded. Will you answer that call or sit back and let freedom die away? Unifying patriots everywhere against the evil trying to destroy America's freedom. You're listening to the Disciples of Liberty radio show on the America Out Loud Network. Now here's your host, Tim Alders. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde, filling in once again for Tim Alders. Well, there's a lot going on. There's never been a greater time for uh, Disciples of Liberty to uh, look in the mirror, realize that's who you are, and step forward and uh, fulfill the purpose for which you were born. So let's dive right in, shall we? Have you noticed the number of, I regret not getting vaxxed, and now I'm dead? stories that are starting to circulate. Now, look, before I go any further, I'm going to emphasize, I I know a lot of people who are either dealing with or have dealt with COVID recently. And I'm guessing in most cases, this was the Delta variant. And for some people, this has been a very serious thing. For others, it's been unpleasant, but not necessarily life-threatening. But it's so interesting with all the pressure that's being brought to bear to to get people to take the vaccine, take the vaccine. You will. I mean, they've they've tried sweet talking. Hey, this is a great thing. They've tried, you know, appeals to patriotism. You know, you're doing your duty to get this vaccine. They tried bribery. I mean, it started with simple things, you know, base things. Hey, we'll give you a free donut. We'll give you 50 bucks. How about 100 bucks? And now it's getting to, okay, we tried everything. We tried shaming. We tried guilting. There are folks ready to roll up their sleeves and to actually force you to take the vaccine. But this last week or so, I have started to see a number of different stories, uh, different people involved, but the, the plot is still very much the same. I think it started with a, a, a woman who claimed to be a nurse. It turns out she's a veterinarian, but she works as a physical therapist, apparently at a hospital. Anyhow, she is. Uh, she claims, well, sometimes the last thing I tell the COVID patient before I hook them up to the respirator, before I intubate them, is, you know, they're begging me for the vaccine and I have to hold their hand and tell them, I'm sorry, it's too late. And so she's using that as leverage. Well, that's their deepest regret. I didn't get the vaccine. And, and uh, you know, there was a story that came out of, I think, Florida just the other day ago about a... Uh, Pretty prominent right-wing talk radio personality, very conservative pundit, who uh, had had the, the headlines say, railed against Fauci, railed against vaccines. Okay, now that's one person's interpretation. I don't know. I haven't heard this individual's program, so I don't know if he was railing against Fauci and vaccines or if he was railing against the idea that you're being forced to take a vaccine or coerced to take a vaccine. Long story short. He got COVID and died. But the story is, his deepest regret was that he didn't get the shot. And his message to his listeners was, please get the shot. Now, maybe he did. Okay, I wasn't there. I don't know what his last words were. 
but can I ask you just to suspend, you know, the, the belief for a moment and just ask yourself, who benefits from a story like this? It, it just seems very manipulative. And maybe I'm, I'm just a really callous kind of guy to look at it that way. Well, gee, you know, here this, this guy is dead, and, and that's tragic. But it seems like we're being conditioned to, to view anyone who gets the virus has failed. And I just want to state for the record, no. In the same way that anybody who gets cancer has failed. That's not true. Look, viruses don't respond to public policy. They never have. And this was understood at one time, I guess before uh, people in positions of authority became so hubristic that they figured, hey, if we decree this is going to happen, then it's going to happen. You know, they need to revisit visit the story of King Canute. If you're not familiar with it, King Canute was revered by all the people in his kingdom. His advisors always were telling him, you are the greatest. Sire, you are the greatest. You are the one who, you can do it all. And so he ordered his uh, followers and his entourage to carry him down to the seashore, which they did. They carried him in a little portable throne down there to the seashore, and he had him set, set it right on the edge of the beach. And then he stood up, and he ordered the tide not to come in and sat back down on his throne. Well, you can guess what happened. The tide did come back in, and eventually his supporters, his followers, his servants were forced to rescue King Canute before he was drowned in the, in the tide. But his point was, I'm not in control of everything. There are limits to my power and how I wish that there were people in public policy, particularly public health, that could get this idea. So, clearly... But when I see these stories come out, clearly there are some people who believe that uh, the, the conflict, the friction right now is still about a vaccine. They think this is about the vaccine. You just don't want to do this because you think it's a conspiracy theory. And what they're not seeing is, you know, my opposition to getting the, the vaccine at this point is not that I know the vaccine won't work. I don't know that. My opposition is based in, I am seeing a loss of informed consent. And to me, that's intolerable. I would rather die of COVID knowing that I did everything in my power to uphold my natural rights, including the right of informed consent, the right of self-determination, my right of conscience, as it may be, than to just go along and then, you know, die of COVID anyway. And Well, at least I got the shot and showed I was a good guy. So please understand, I'm not suggesting you're a bad person if you got the vaccine. If it was your choice, I think that's probably a, a good thing to do. If it was your choice, you sussed it out for yourself and said, I think I would be better off to do this. Now, the flip side of this is, you know, if, if you just did it because, well, I'd be really embarrassed if, if, I, if I ended up getting COVID or I ended up dying from COVID. And I actually spoke to a friend about a week ago who told me I got the shot because I was just concerned if I got COVID, I would be so embarrassed if I died of COVID. Some things are more important than simply holding on to life at any cost. I mean, I, I assume that uh, I'm speaking to someone who understands this. You wouldn't be listening to a program, Disciples of Liberty, if you didn't understand this at some level. And there have been a lot of people throughout the ages who have lived up to this and who, you know, in some cases have laid down their lives. Others have laid down their fortunes, their sacred honor, everything they could do to uphold those things that matter. 
So if I have a goal today, it's not to persuade you that vaccines are bad. It's to persuade you that the loss of informed consent is worse than catching a particular virus. In fact, there's an article from Brandon Smith. I don't know if you're familiar with Brandon, but he is... He's one of my favorite writers just because he's not a super popular guy. He, he doesn't have a huge national following, but he's very principled in his approach. And that doesn't mean he is right in everything. He doesn't claim to be right. He doesn't claim to be infallible. Unlike the uh, you know public health experts, he doesn't claim omniscience. But he has this great essay on why we will not comply must become the battle cry of everyone who will resist growing medical tyranny. Here's how he describes it. He says, I've been feverishly writing lately on COVID mandates and vaccine passport issues. And he says, I'm sure most readers understand why. We're currently at the cusp of a great conflict against the powers that be, people who are exploiting the mostly manufactured COVID crisis for unprecedented political and economic control. Now, he says, when I say manufactured, I mean that there is no crisis. There's no need for mandates. There's no need for lockdowns. There is no need for vaccine passports. We're dealing with a virus that around 99.7% of people will easily survive, according to the medical establishment's own studies and stats, as well as numerous independent studies, which, by the way, he links to in the article. Yet, for some reason, we're being bombarded with fear-mongering from the media and from governments. So Brandon Smith asks, why is the only solution being suggested to the general public? Why does it involve us giving up all of our freedoms and medical autonomy? Why is 99.7% of the population supposed to lock down, mask up, and submit to an experimental mRNA vaccine with no long-term testing data to prove its safety? Why don't the 0.26% of people that are truly at risk of dying from the virus, why don't they simply take precautions or stay at home? while the rest of us get on with normal life. He says, I'd be fine with contributing to a fund to help support that 0.26% at risk, to help their families, to help with their medical bills. He says, the Federal Reserve and other central banks burned trillions of dollars in stimulus jobs and PP, or stimulus monies, measures rather, and PPP loans to keep businesses from going completely bankrupt and to keep jobless, non-essential workers from starving during the initial shutdowns. But he says we could have just kept the economy going this entire time and paid a fraction of that. Just helping the tiny minority of people that would actually suffer from the illness. Yes, he says that's right. I'll say it again and again because I still to this day see the media and misinformed COVID cultists continually claim the death rate of COVID is much higher. But it's not. He says the median infection fatality rate of COVID is only 0.26%. This is a fact. And by the way, he links to the study that shows this. This is the science, according to the vast majority of medical studies out there on the IFR. So he says, let me repeat. The entire world is being locked down and told we might have to give up or we have to give up our inherent human liberties because 0.26% of the population might get more than the sniffles and brain fog from a COVID infection. Why? Well, he says that's easy. Because the COVID response and restrictions have nothing to do with public health and everything to do with public control. Now, I like something he explains here, and and maybe this will make sense to you like it did to me. He says, this essay is a little different from what I usually write, and it's not so much an appeal to pure reason or pure science. It's more of an appeal to principle. 
See, I was like, oh, cool, he's speaking my language then. Brandon Smith says, I've been asked by many readers lately if it's not better to argue against pandemic mandates based on ideals and principles rather than hammering away at the science. Now, he says, I think it's important to do both, but let's take a moment to consider the moral question and the moral question alone. But to do that, we have to ask some simple questions. Like, who has the right to control your medical decisions? Who is qualified to control your constitutional right to life, liberty, and the right to seek out prosperity? Who should be given the power to tell you what you can say, where you can work, where you must buy, what you can buy, or where you can buy, rather, where you can walk, where you can travel, what you must believe in? And the answer is no one, except yourself, that is. But, of course, the COVID cult and the people that benefit from the pandemic will claim that your rights no longer apply when you are putting the lives of others at risk. It's the old social contract argument. You are part of a society, and therefore society has expectations that supersede your rights. Now, this is all nonsense, but he says it's a classic strategy used by every totalitarian in modern times. It's never been about what society wants. It's always only ever been about what the tyrants want. In fact, he says, as I've noted in numerous articles with endless scientific facts and evidence, no one who wants to remain free from COVID mandates or vaccine passports is putting anyone at risk. Again, the median death rate for COVID is 0.26%, and neither the mandates, nor the masks, nor the vaccines have put a stop to COVID infections. Interestingly, it's been the states with the harshest lockdowns and mask restrictions, rather, that had the highest rates of infection for the past 18 months. Even now, fully vaccinated people are getting COVID by the thousands in breakout cases, and some of them have died. Infections and deaths dropped off in January, long before the vaccines were widely distributed and manufactured. Only 5% of the U.S. population was vaccinated with a single dose by February. So he says the fact is the vaccines have achieved nothing. But he says even if I was among the 0.26% of people that are dying, I would never demand that the other 99.7% of the population give up their freedoms and their children's freedoms just so I might feel a little bit safer. That would be an act of selfish madness. But let's say for a moment that we set aside all the science that supports the anti-mandate position. What if the death rate of the virus was much higher? What if we were dealing with Ebola or some other nasty pathogen? What if one out of a hundred people were at risk? What if one out of ten people were at risk? Would medical tyranny and mass lockdowns be acceptable then? And the answer is no, they would not be. Why? Well, he says, honestly, it's a matter of who's in power and who's implementing such mandates. Why should we have blind confidence in governments made up of corrupt elitists and globalists? Who are they to look out for our best interests? How are these people qualified to protect the public trust? And his answer is they're not qualified, and they never will be. They do not care about us. They're only interested in serving their own interests and pushing forward their own agendas. Just look at how excited globalist institutions like the World Economic Forum have become, calling the pandemic an opportunity to force through their Great Reset agenda. He says, these ghouls are not the type of people the public wants in charge of micromanaging their lives. So it's left up to the individual to protect themselves how they see fit. But the establishment, of course, tells us we're not capable of doing this. Rather, we must defer to their better judgment. 
They are supposedly smarter than us all, and as benevolent technocrats, they only they have the knowledge and righteousness to determine the course of every living person's future. Now, we saw a good example of this over the weekend. Uh, Former President Barack Obama had his 60th birthday party. I believe this was at Martha's Vineyard. And they were going to invite hundreds and hundreds of people. But in the end, because, you know, they wanted to appear that they were being cautious, they just settled for hundreds. (laughs) Okay, what a distinction without a difference. But one of the people who was DJing at that party sent out photographs of what was going on there. And as shocking as you're probably, what were they doing? Were they all naked and wearing masks? And was it like eyes wide shut? <laughs> no, no, nothing like that. At least not, not, none of the pictures that were sent out were anything like that. What you saw was a bunch of people, unmasked, in close proximity, having a party. And of course, you know, some of the pictures were taken down as soon as they were, they were distributed. But enough of them got out. It's pretty hard to deny what you're seeing. These are the elite. These are the, uh, the upper crust people. The establishment types. And the reason that they were were okay to to just live normally, we are told, is because they were not only all vaccinated, but they were sophisticated. Do you see the distinction there? You may be vaccinated, but if you're not sophisticated like us, well, don't you be trying anything like this. That's pretty sickening. I mean, just from the standpoint of, wow, do as I say, not as I do. Okay. Okay. I mean, your, your actions speak pretty loudly, and in this case, their actions are saying, you know, they're, they're not afraid. They are not afraid of this disease. Globalists like Gordon Litchfield at MIT told us exactly what the plan was in March of 2020 in an article titled, We're Not Going Back to Normal. And Brandon Smith says they admit the goal has always been to institute vaccination, or I'm sorry, vaccine passport restrictions that will last for many years to come, if not forever. From the article, quote, ultimately, however, I predict that we'll restore the ability to socialize safety by develop safely, rather, by developing more sophisticated ways to identify who is a disease risk and who isn't and discriminating legally against those who are. One can imagine a world in which to get on a flight, perhaps you'll have to be signed up to a service that tracks your movements via your phone. The airline wouldn't be able to see where you'd gone, but it would get an alert if you had been close to known infected people or disease hotspots. And there'd be similar requirements at the entrance to large venues, government buildings, or public transport hubs. There would be temperature scanners everywhere, and your workplace might demand you wear a monitor that tracks your temperature or other vital signs. Or nightclubs ask for proof of age and future, they might ask for proof of immunity, an identity card, or some kind of digital verification via your phone showing you've already recovered from or been vaccinated against the latest virus strains, end quote. Now, Brandon Smith says, I say to you that this is the classic philosophy of almost every semi-human monster that has ever lived. This is the ideology of narcissistic sociopaths, the religion of soulless robots. Some of the greatest evils known to mankind have been committed in the name of the greater good of the greater number. And he says, this mantra cannot be tolerated under any circumstances. It cannot be allowed to infect our nation and supplant our deeper values. Because if it does, we may find ourselves slaves to the system for a very long time. He says, as I have been warning, they would do for the past year. Multiple governments are keeping pandemic lockdowns and restrictions in place 
or they're bringing them back in the case of the U.S. And it should be clear to everyone that this circular process of medical tyranny is not going to end. It is never meant to end. The goal of the establishment of globalists and governments is to keep the restrictions in place indefinitely. And they will keep moving the goalposts every time enough people comply. He says the mainstream media has constantly or has consistently rather attacked the claim that governments would enforce vaccine passports as a conspiracy theory. But now they're openly admitting that the plan is to institute vaccine passports and they're vigorously defending it. They are discussing with avid fervor how they might be able to force or compel each and every person to take the jab, even if they don't want it, and even if the jab serves no purpose. He says, I have my own suspicions of the jab and its true purpose and safety, but let's not forget that the jab is at the very least a stepping stone to the vaccine passports. The passports are the key to everything. Without the passports, medical tyranny cannot be established. Without the passports, they have no leverage over the population to dictate the fundamental aspects of our lives. They need the passports in order to get their great reset. Without a papers, please, social credit system in place, their reset will fall apart. And so he says it is therefore imperative above all else that the vaccine passports are never allowed to take root. The program must be stopped and destroyed. Now, Brandon Smith says, I'm not a major influencer in conservative or liberty movement circles. I'm not a big YouTube personality or media juggernaut. He says, I have no big business backing or deep pockets to spur a national campaign. In fact, he says, I'm not particularly fond of public speaking, though I have learned to deal with it. I'm just a writer with a love for the values of freedom, the values of reason, and in many cases, the values of faith that give humanity meaning. And he says, what I see is a deadly serious need, a need for an organized front line against the storm of dictatorship that is on our doorstep. So he says, what I suggest is simple, a national campaign against the medical passports. Globalists, socialists, and corporatists understand the concept of pressure and how to apply it to get what they want. Brandon Smith says, I believe we must also learn how to wield pressure in the opposite direction. It's not enough to sit in our homes, isolated from each other, content in the knowledge that millions of other people feel the same way we do. We must also take action. And this is what he means. We must send a message. We will not comply. Now, he says, I'm not sure there's any single person out there that has the clout to drive this campaign alone. And it's probably better that way. What's required is a mass movement united by principles, not a movement tangled together by a cult of personality. And there are many ways to do this, from simple actions to more complex strategies. A liberty activist can send a message through signs, bumper stickers, advertisements, billboards, etc., reminding the establishment that we will refuse to submit to the jab or the vaccine passports under any circumstances. They need to understand that there is nothing they can do that will make us change our minds. Nothing. The primary strategy of the the COVID cult, he says, has been to work with these larger corporations to demand proof of vaccination. In other words, vaccine passports. And he says we need to let these companies know in no uncertain terms, we will cut off all consumer support for their businesses. We will not work for them. We will not give them a penny of our money. Instead, we will approach smaller local businesses, find out if they're part of the We Will Not Comply campaign, and if they are, we will support them instead. It's time to teach these corporations a lesson and put them out of commission by removing our money and our labor from their pockets. 
Now, of course, the next strategy by the establishment has been to mandate the vaccinations for government workers. And again, mass walkouts are the answer. Let them sweat by losing half their workforce and maybe take them to court. Bury them in lawsuits while strangling their ability to operate. Listen to this. He says, I believe we are living here now at this crossroads for a reason. I believe we are meant to be here. That we are being given a chance to be the right people in the right place at the right time. And he says, I believe that we can end this evil, but only if we dare to try. And it starts with one simple step, telling the world we will not comply. And then following through on that promise. I'm Brian Hyde sitting in for Tim Alders. This is the Disciples of Liberty on the America Out Loud Network. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. AmericaOutloud.com is the alternative from the agenda-driven globalist. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. On-demand podcast or real-time talk radio with our streaming apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to the Disciples of Liberty program. I'm Brian Hyde. I'm filling in for Tim Alders here on the America Out Loud Network. So in the first segment of today's show, I shared with you um, some commentary from Brandon Smith. Brandon writes regularly for ActivistPost.com. Strongly recommend his writings just uh, just for an alternate point of view. You don't have to agree. You understand? I'm not telling you. If you're not, if you're not reading his work and hanging on every word, well, you're a bad human being. Nope. I'm just saying this guy has a pretty solid take. And uh, it's it's definitely worth considering. Now, he was talking about uh, that we will not comply mentality. And I'm there. I mean, I, maybe maybe you're like me. I made my mind up a long time ago. Months ago, I, I made my mind up that I'm done with the masks. I'm done with, you know, pretending that everyone everywhere is a deadly threat to me. And it has felt really good to get back to living. And if you risk a few wayward glances, you know, from people who are still kind of caught in the grip of that fear that's being pumped at them 24-7, well, 
you know, try to be kind. We were all there at one time, you know, feeling you know, like the uncertainty of whatever's going on and wondering, you know, how it's going to shake out. He has a follow-up column, and I wanted to share a couple of thoughts from this because the the vaccine passports, as bad as the loss of informed consent, you know, and the forcing the jab on everybody is, this uh, this vaccine passport is very concerning. And, and particularly if you look at our economy, which has been wheezing along on life support for quite some time now, this might be the equivalent of pulling the plug out of the wall. He asks, what would our economy look like in the shadow of vaccine passports? And he says, yeah, that's an official concern now. The mainstream media, the Biden administration, they've gone from suggesting the COVID vaccinations would not be mandated to saying they should be mandated. And that means several very uncomfortable consequences are on the way for our economy and the nation as a whole. Remember, the federal government already decided it's legal for companies to require coronavirus vaccines. Just remember, legal is not always the same thing as lawful or moral. Case in point, slavery was perfectly legal. The Fugitive Slave Act, perfectly legal. Get those slaves back to their owners. The Holocaust, yeah, that was legal. The Nazis kept reams and reams of paper showing that they did it all according to their laws. They were quite surprised, I believe, at Nuremberg how many of them were hanged by the neck for simply doing what was legal. Jim Crow laws? Legal. I'm using some pretty rough and extreme examples here, but you get the picture. Just because something is legal doesn't mean that it's right. And the most obvious next step is going to be a mandatory vaccine passport certifying that the holder has received the recommended injections. Now, the assertion by the establishment is that life will just simply go back to normal as long as you comply and you get your shots like a good citizen. But Brandon Smith says, from what I've seen, some even some good people who have taken the vaccines voluntarily don't want a passport system in place, and for good reason. Should a mandatory vaccine passport system be implemented, he says, life will never be normal again. First, we have to take into account that there's never going to be a 100% vaccination rate in the U.S. Not even close. With the number of states at or below a 50% vaccination rate, there's a question of practicality regarding vaccine passports. Such a program would mean that around half the country could be put in the position of hearing they have no right to employment or possibly even general interaction in trade because they won't take the experimental jab. By the way, I believe today, the uh, or over the weekend actually, I believe that the FDA finally gave its approval to the vaccine. So there's some more legal cover. Well, it's been approved. Just remember, they approved things like Vioxx. They approved Fenfen. Right up until those things were shown to damage your heart valves and cause other bad things. So don't put too much faith in bureaucracy to uh, look out for your best interests. And as Brandon Smith points out, the real concern with a vaccine passport has nothing to do with coronavirus or herd immunity or saving lives. It's a tool of control. Kind of like the Soviet Union's Communist Party membership card. It's an official document that demonstrates compliance to authority. It's a tool to divide the U.S. population. He says if this autocratic diktat was directed at a tiny minority of people within the population, it might work at frightening them into accepting the vaccinations to go along to get along. But with hundreds of millions of people saying, no way, history tells us the more pressure is applied, the more rebellion is inspired. 
Second, he says, we have to consider what the immediate economic and financial effects will be in light of this conflict. For example, look at the amount of relocation and migration that has happened in the U.S. in the past year alone. Many millions of people have escaped from predominantly blue states based on political and social factors. And the COVID, vaccine, COVID mandates rather, and lockdowns are a big part of what inspired most people to leave. As has been well documented, blue states are much slower in recovering economically when compared with red states with less restrictions. Not only that, but money moves with people. This is a hard reality. Conservative states are seeing ample cash inflows from tourism and mass migration, while blue states are bleeding tax revenues. So in light of this revelation, red states are going to ask themselves this question. Why would we commit economic suicide like the blue states by following their example? Wouldn't vaccine passports be the equivalent of blue state COVID mandates times 100? But let's say for a moment that vaccine passports were somehow implemented everywhere in the country at the exact same time. What would happen then? Well, the amount of bureaucracy that would be added between the average consumer and everyday trade would be immense. And with red tape comes a slowdown in business. You understand what he's saying? Whole new wings of the government would have to be created to track and enforce vaccine passport rules. And he points out, I say rules because none of the mandates would ever have been passed into law or voted on by the public. Regular inspections of businesses would have to be enacted. New taxes would have to be created to pay for the system. The amount of space and employees needed to meet new standards for retailers would increase in order to check every customer that comes through the door for a passport. Also, he says, let's not forget that many thousands of people in multiple states have had breakout COVID infections despite being fully vaccinated, which means rules on social distancing and masking will also still be in place. The amount of capital that a business owner would have to spend to meet the government requirements would continue to rise while their profits would continue to fall. Eventually, the majority of small businesses would close, just like we saw during the first series of, of lockdowns. Smaller businesses, which represented about half of the U.S. retail economy, would be under so much stress from maintaining the proper restrictions and adding infrastructure that they simply would not be able to compete with the major corporations and the big box stores. So the end result would be the complete disintegration of the small business sector, except perhaps online retailers. Only national and international conglomerates would be left behind to provide brick-and-mortar services to the public. And of course, many millions of jobs would be lost in the process. Less competition means ever-increasing prices and a lower quality of goods and services. Simply put, Vaccine passports could put or could result rather in the death of what's left of the free market as we know it. The majors know they have the public by the scruff of the neck, so why bother trying anymore? They can throw us scraps from the table and we would have to take them and be happy with what we get. Now, there are alternatives to the death of the free market. He says there is a central factor that tends to arise when restrictions on the economy are put in place. That would be the black market. When governments restrict domestic trade and limit consumer participation based on frivolous requirements, people don't just roll over and submit. Instead, they find other ways to get the things they need more freely. So this would mean black market trade or barter markets, alternative currencies, and sometimes entire underground economies. Free markets will not be denied. And this is where the government disguise of humanitarianism will really fall away and the true tyranny will be revealed. 
Anyone rational would say people trading with each other on an individual or community basis is perfectly normal. But under medical tyranny, such trade would be treated as an ultimate crime. By providing services for each other, common people would be opening the door to survival outside of the system. And if survival is possible, then non-vaccination is possible. Therefore, the argument will be made by the establishment that alternative economies need to be eliminated for the good of society as a whole. Because there's always an excuse for, for totalitarianism. With a large portion of the population seeking a means to live without oppression, alternative markets will thrive, and the government will make war on them. Which means the people will be forced to make war on the government. It's inevitable under every scenario. But in the meantime, barter and trade will continue without vaccine passports, and there's not much that governments can do to stop it. He says, I have little doubt that precious metals will become go-to commodities for trade as a currency, just as they always have in times of crisis. All trade systems need is a, all trade systems need a universal mechanism with inherent value to back it. Otherwise, more and more steps are added in the trade cycle, and it becomes more difficult to conclude each transaction. So, straight barter will be useful, but so will precious metals, especially gold and silver, along with other hard commodities with intrinsic value and utility. I don't know why, but I think ammunition when I read that. <laughs> the other precious metals, lead, brass, and copper. He says, what I see in the future is economic disaster in the wake of any attempt at a vaccine passport system. Millions will lose their jobs or quit their jobs in protest. Small businesses will disappear under the weight of bureaucracy and constant scrutiny. The quality of goods and services will suffer as competition shrivels. But Brandon Smith says, I also see the birth of a whole new economic system outside of mainstream control grid. I see true free markets returning, and eventually I see full-blown rebellion. So here's what he's suggesting. People get ready for this eventuality. That means we need to become producers again rather than mere consumers. In order to position ourselves for success in the new trade environment, we have to be able to make necessities, repair necessities, or teach necessary skills. Those that are able to do this will do very well within alternative markets. And, of course, those that stock preparations and buy gold and silver will also have a safety net as the current economy is slowly crushed under the weight of COVID mandates. And finally, he says, if you find yourself today in a heavily restricted city, county, or state, I suggest leaving now while you still can to a safer, more free place with more liberty-minded people. Time is running out fast. Now, I have to admit as I read this, I think back, you know, if I had read this even two years ago, I would have thought, whew, Brandon, maybe it's time to switch to decaf. This is a tad strident there, you know. It's not really that bad. As I read it today, I think he's right on the money. I think he's, I think he is sounding a timely warning. And, and personally, it sounds to me like he's sounding it for the right reason. This isn't about, you know, building his brand. This is about trying to wake people up to the realization that you have got to you've got to commit to which side you are going to be on and then you've got to have a plan of action and be willing to do what it takes to be self-sufficient. I saw a tweet earlier today that said if if you are self-sufficient that makes you the enemy. And that may sound like kind of a radical thing to say, well why would why would anybody consider a self-sufficient person to be the enemy? And the answer is pretty 
easy once you once you think about it. It's because you can say no. If you're not dependent on this bureaucrat or that bureaucrat for permission to work, permission to travel, permission to feed yourself, they can come at you with all kinds of things. You need to do this. And you can politely or not politely tell them, no, thank you. I will just continue to live here on my own you know, property, growing vegetables in my own garden, collecting eggs for my own chickens and loading my own ammunition and going about happiness, you know, creating value for other people you know, or bartering my way, you know, through life without your permission. Stuff like that is the stuff that keeps control freaks awake at night. Because they can't fathom that someone would, would act without their license or without their permission. To me, it sounds like a pretty viable way of doing things. But then again, I've, I've always kind of, I've always loved a more peaceful rural setting than I have city life. And I, I continue to feel that way. I understand it won't work for everybody. But it's time to get yourself positioned. The time for preparedness really is, is about done. There's a time for preparation. There's a time for taking risks. And without risk, there can be no freedom. We're quickly approaching a time in which gamblers and true believers could decide the fate of the world for the next century, says Brandon Smith. A grassroots organic movement needs to be assembled to fight back against the rising tide of totalitarianism. He says each of us can only do our own small part, but together, in concert, you better believe it will move the needle. Maybe even reverse some of the damage that's been done. One of the things that has to happen is we have to understand how does an entire population become brainwashed or otherwise conditioned into believing these things? In fact, we'll take it one step further. With, without intending to offend anybody, how does an entire population become mentally ill? I was turned on to a video over the weekend about mass psychosis. And this is from the Academy of Ideas. It's, a, it's actually a video made by After School. You can check out their YouTube channel. And it was made in collaboration with the Academy of Ideas. What they do is they create videos explaining the ideas of history's great thinkers to help uh, supply the world with more knowledge. They're very informative. They're illustrated. So it, it helps you to visualize what they're talking about. This one in particular talks about the most dangerous of all epidemics. We're talking about the one that goes on in people's heads, the mass psychosis. Maybe another way to put it would be an epidemic of madness. The kind of thing that occurs when a large portion of society loses touch with reality and descends into delusions. Let me play just a real quick excerpt from this. And you can hear for yourself the approach that they take in this video. I promise it will be worth 20 minutes of your time to watch the video in its entirety. Here's a quick excerpt. In this video, we are going to explore the most dangerous of all psychic epidemics, the mass psychosis. A mass psychosis is an epidemic of madness, and it occurs when a large portion of a society loses touch with reality and descends into delusions. Such a phenomenon is not a thing of fiction. Two examples of mass psychoses are the American and European witch hunts of the 16th and 17th centuries and the rise of totalitarianism in the 20th century. During the witch hunts, thousands of individuals, mostly women, were killed, not for any crimes they committed, but because they became the scapegoats of societies gone mad. I'm going to stop it right there, but I, again, will encourage you 
check out the video Mass Psychosis, How an Entire Population Becomes Mentally Ill. So far, it's still available on YouTube. Um, Hopefully, it's not the kind of thing they're going to want to weed out of here. The thing that you're going to find amazing is that these weren't people who were on the edge anyway. It's not like, oh, yeah, well, you know, they're all a bunch of, you know, crazy people who worship a volcano and throw virgins in there until the weather changes. No, that's not the case. Usually, it's, uh, it's educated individuals, educated societies who somehow lose the calibration on their moral compass. One of the most revealing books that I have ever read in my life is a book called They Thought They Were Free, The Germans, 1933 to 1945, by a writer by the name of Milton Meyer, M-A-Y-E-R. What he did in this book was following World War II, he went back and interviewed Germans who survived that horrific period of their country's history and asked them to explain what they were thinking each step of the way as the Third Reich established itself and eventually began that headlong plunge into madness. And you know the crazy thing about it is the average person, the average decent person, um, basically they saw things were going wrong quite some time before 1945. I mean, by 1945, it was pretty inescapable that, oh man, this is, this is going to be a huge mess. But the problem was, so many people went along with what was taking place, and it was happening so incrementally. In other words, it didn't come in one big fell swoop. It was little incremental slices, just little bit at a time. In fact, he describes how what people who recognize something, you know, out of the ordinary taking place and thought, ooh, this isn't good. But they were confident that if they would just hang on, they would, uh, there would come a jolt is what they were looking for. The one big event, the one move by government that would convince people that, ooh, hey, this is wrong. Everybody wake up, you know, and then we would all, you know, safely correct the problem. But as Milton Meyer points out, the jolt never comes. And if you didn't protest the latest move or the, the previous move, uh, but you're protesting this one, well, that isn't that much worse than the one before. Why are you protesting now? So by the time people realized, oh my goodness, this is, this is so much worse than I thought, by then it was too dangerous to speak out. One of the really interesting revelations in that book, he talks with a professor who, you know, surrounded by academics, thinking, educated, I mean first world educated men who were afraid to speak out because of what it might do to their job opportunities or their standing or their tenure, you know, in the university. But for one professor in particular, the light came on for him one day as he was walking down the street with his five-year-old son, and they walked past a Jewish individual wearing his armband, and the little boy sneered, Jewish swine. And the dad was like, whoa, what the heck is going on that my five-year-old is talking like this? But at that point... Speaking out would draw the attention of the Gestapo, and that would, uh, that would bring some very dire consequences. So it's a very good video. <clears throat> it very clearly describes how a population becomes mentally ill, what mass psychosis is, how it starts, how it's happened before. It also explores the question, are we experiencing one right now? I know how I would answer that question, but I'll let you answer it uh, you know, in, in your own way. And here's what I think is one of the most important questions. If we are experiencing a mass psychosis right now as a result of this COVID pandemic, 
Can the stages of mass psychosis be reversed? I'm kind of an optimist here, and I think that they probably can. But I'd like you to check it out for yourself and and see what you think. You know, a friend reminded me the other day, no one is coming to save you. In fact, he says, get up, be your own hero. And that may sound like tough love, especially to people who are, are afraid or uncertain about what comes next, right? I don't know what comes next. I see a lot of uncertainty. I see a lot of instability. And yeah, there's times I pop awake at night and my brain is like, dude, what do we do about this? <laughs> I'm looking for answers, the same as everybody else. But I know you really do have to be your own hero, hero rather, and that is especially the case when it comes to the truth. It's not that the truth isn't out there. It's just you have to accept that you are on your own when it comes to finding the truth. And that can seem pretty daunting. Let me give you an example of why I think this is so important, why we need to become propaganda-proof people. And I'll just take you back a few years. If you remember, this is I'm going to cast doubts on why the media will not be telling us when somebody's out of line or when government is, is out of line or anything else. They have destroyed their credibility, and nothing cemented this for me more than the case of the Covington High School students, or Covington High School students, uh, just a couple of years ago. Do you remember when there was a, there was a, a number of observations slash protests taking place on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade? And I'm trying to remember when this was. I want to say it was back in 2017, maybe 2018. And a bunch of teenagers, along with a lot of other people, were there at uh, the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. And we were told that uh, after we we saw this short video appear on the news, oh, look, here are a bunch of teenage schoolboys being disrespectful to a Native American activist. Remember this? The guy banging the drum and the, the kids smiling right there in his face, wearing his Donald Trump hat? I mean, the media told us these teenagers were a bunch of tone-deaf, jeering mobsters wearing Trump hats. And a lot of people piled on. I mean, there were journalists who came right out and said, yeah, that Nicholas Sandman, he has the most punchable face I've ever seen in my life. I mean, people were trying to dox him. They were trying to dox his family. He was marked for destruction. Yet those who didn't jump on the bandwagon, those who waited a little bit to assess the situation and see if there was more to come out about it were rewarded later in the week when the full video of what transpired at the Lincoln Memorial came out. And it was shocking to more than a few people that, hey, these young kids from Covington Catholic High School actually were standing on the moral high ground after all. They were the ones peacefully enduring more than an hour of intense, racist heckling from a group of black nationalists who baited them with taunts of crackers, faggots, pedophiles. The boys were accused of being future school shooters. They were accused of having incestuous lineage. And they took all the abuse without becoming confrontational themselves. And it's all there in the video. I mean, I remember at the time thinking, wow, This is the first group of people I've ever seen acting out in a way that actually made the Westboro Baptist Church look reasonable by comparison. And the same group of antagonistic racial instigators was also repeatedly taunting and insulting the Native American activist before he mysteriously walked up to the smiling high school students while drumming. And again, if you watched the entire video, you could see that for yourself. 
We were sold a false version of what took place, and an astonishing number of people took the bait without question. Now, to their credit, there were a number of media personalities who stepped forward, apologized for their initial knee-jerk reaction to the story. But what about the outlets that originated the story? Where is their mea culpa? Why did so many of those news media sources choose to run with the original false narrative that the MAGA hat-wearing high school boys were the aggressors? And why was there no acknowledgement of what was actually being said by these black nationalists? I mean, it's, it's no secret that uh, much of the mass media in America did not like Donald Trump as president. How many months of lecturing, warnings, and smears did we have to endure before Trump was actually elected back in 2016? And afterward, the press had the opportunity to actually assess how and why they could have misjudged the American voters so decisively and missed how the election would go. But instead, many of them doubled down on their determination. Well, the election was a combination of racist troglodytes and Russian interference. That's what brought Trump into the White House. I mean, they, they can't even imagine their own lack of ethics and their lust to control others through the information they publish could have damaged their once vaunted credibility. I mean, hubris doesn't even begin to describe the kind of arrogance at play here. Now, under such circumstances, it's almost understandable that so many media outlets would continue to publish false or misleading stories that could be spun to be damaging to either Trump or his supporters. But how they expected to get away with it? In an information age where fact-checking has never been easier, where video has never been simpler to come by? Well, that's another story. And anger and hatred of the media isn't the answer. So please, don't think that I'm trying to get you ginned up, you know, to go tar and feather the nearest reporter. Just keep in mind, it was anger and hatred that robbed them of their objectivity, that allowed them to justify spreading disinformation if they see some kind of political advantage in doing so. If anything, what it does is... That incident underscored the importance of making it a habit to fact-check whatever information is before you. The source doesn't matter as much as your willingness to weigh, compare, and analyze whatever information you're receiving before you go off over half-truths or falsehoods. I mean, we live in a time when anyone who wants to understand the world around them had better get used to dealing with incomplete and sometimes misleading information. And that's why it's almost always preferable to go to the source whenever possible. This comes down to whether we place a greater value on truth or political advantage. Otherwise, you run the risk of becoming someone else's unwitting dupe in their scam. This is part of why people like Tim Alders and myself and so many of the other voices out there that are are trying to proclaim liberty and trying to, to proclaim truth as we best understand it are also encouraging you to own your worldview to be willing to do the dirty work of sifting fact from fiction. And it can seem daunting, right? Because we're not all experts in everything. But if you don't want to be deceived, if you don't want to be misled, you got to be willing to cut through all the smokescreen and cut through all the fluff. The media is very good at finding nice euphemistic words that will keep us not quite on target, but close enough that we feel like we've got a good view of what's happening. I wish there were shortcuts. I really do. I wish there was some high road we could take where, hey, you know, this is, this is an easier way to get to know what's going on, and it doesn't require any effort at all. But the truth is, it does require effort. And in my opinion, the only reason more people don't do it is because they, they don't trust themselves, and it does take time 
and effort to, to condition your mind to ask the right questions. You could give me someone with a photographic memory who remembers everything they've ever read, seen, every word they've heard spoken. But if they don't ask the right questions, I would take someone who asks good questions over Mr. or Ms. photographic memory because the right questions are what's likely to get you the information you're looking for. Hey, it's a pleasure to sit in for Tim here on the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde, and you are listening to the America Out Loud Network.